0: Ladies, gentlemen, and IOT professionals, you are here with Ken Briotta on Real World IOT, powered by 151 Advisors, a new podcast where we strip the varnish off of all the marketing speak and uh, really dig into the heart of the issues facing the IOT. We talk about them in, uh, in real world terms and uh, face real world issues that are uh, that are hitting our industry hard and keeping us all from the reaching the amount of success that we could. So uh, we are going all over the place and hitting all sorts of topics from security to profitability and uh, and everything in between. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the babble fish. Or at the very, well, that's my favorite uh, analogy for the idea of interoperability. Uh, for those of you out there who are also hyper nerds, you've giggled and then gotten sad because of Douglas Adams. Um, My guest today, I'm very happy to have Eric Hall uh, from Site 1001. Uh, He's the founder and uh, chief innovation officer, which I really ought to give him a hard time about as a title because that's sort of a hobby of mine. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for for joining us here on uh, Real World IoT. Um, In case folks aren't familiar with you personally or with uh, Site 1001, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about what you work on day to day?
1: All right. Well, uh, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you here today. Uh, Site 1001 uh, is a building uh, operation platform, uh, performance operation platform that allows building owners to in essence, put an odometer on their building and understand what's really going on. There are some challenges that are facing the world today in the built environment, and Site 101 is really designed to position itself to take advantage of the convergence of information about buildings, the technology that allows us to deliver that information to users, and the opportunities we have to improve the operation of buildings uh, through the performance and the occupants, within the building uh, as well as the the assets that power the building and the energy they consume.
0: And how did you end up uh, in a place where you were uh, working on making buildings better?
1: Uh, So I my background is in architecture. After receiving a degree in architecture, I uh, really felt like I didn't know enough about about how buildings went together. I felt like I I was really heavily predicated in the design focus of, of architecture. So I joined the Carpenters Union, and uh, with an intent just to spend a couple years there in the union and learn how to swing a hammer and uh, then go back and become the world's greatest architect. Well, 20 plus years later, uh, <laughs> I still haven't uh, gone back to architecture, uh, went to work for a large general contractor based out of the Midwest, uh, completed the, the carpenter apprenticeship program, focused on building layout, and ultimately became a, a national director for building information modeling. Uh, in that role, uh, I got to see process improvement that really illustrated how technology can benefit the built environment from design collaboration all the way through uh, information delivery into operations. I attended a seminar in Phoenix uh, that was being presented by Sandia Labs and it showed a, a pie chart about how owners spend their money over 40 years in a building. And, and here I am as an architect and a builder thinking that's where all the money is spent and it's this miserable little 10%. And I'm thinking, wow. If we could take the process improvements that we experienced with building information modeling that's revolutionizing this 7.8% of people's investment and apply that same information to the operation costs, uh we could really uh we could really have something. So it began as simple as just trying to be a better operation and maintenance manual deliverable, uh, but that led to work order integration, that led into building controls integration, which brings us to where we are today where we're leveraging IOT devices to expand the sub metering or the amount of data that we're pulling off of these buildings to allow us to make better decisions and have better visibility into them. And the bridge between the legacy technology of your Siemens or your Honeywell or your Johnson controls building management system can really be augmented by today's low cost IOT devices.
0: So the, I'm going to put on hold, giving you a hard time about calling yourself Chief Innovation Officer, because we've got a lot to talk about, and I think... Please, we'll
1: go back to that. I, think I may be the but... I may be the founder, but I don't get to pick things like that.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. Shifting blame. That's fine. Because um, <laughs> <Yes. Yes. laughs> uh, cause the thing that I, I want to dig into, and I think that you want to dig into, is... Um, the The idea of an IoT deployment, and I'm using your words here. IoT deployments get thwarted by the what are we up to? At least 700 or so uh, platforms out there that, that by most recent count that I've seen, uh, it's probably gone up since then. Uh, the different dashboards, all the different things that the data is being fed into, uh, can can really stymie the the deployment of IoT solutions. Is that a pretty decent uh, statement of your position?
1: Yeah, I, I would think that the, the biggest hurdle that we've found as we start to get into this is what you say is the proliferation of the product specific dashboard. And what what we found is most of our users, most of our clients are not willing to have 50 tabs open at one point in time and try and do the exercise of coordinating all these things together. Now, the IFTTT protocol and the work that they're doing there uh, really starts to address that and and bridge that gap. But what we really need is we need for the hardware manufacturers, the folks in the IoT world, to um, really have a more open-minded approach about that information. And and although you are going to make it consumable through a consumer-specific user interface, There's also a need for that information to be shared uh, amongst the ecosystem, and that's really where the IoT uh, manufacturers uh, are are falling short at this time. I'll back up a little bit, if I could, and talk. As we talk about IoT devices, we're starting to see a proliferation of folks who are in the business to uh, monetize the data that's being collected by the sensor more so than the revenue being generated by the sale of the sensor. So you kind of fit yourself into two categories. You're the maker of the sensor uh, or you're the the purveyor of the data. And in some instances, both. Uh, But our strategic partners that we work with are folks that are interested in making the hardware, getting the hardware out, having a larger footprint with which to collect the data, providing that data through a common API interface, and then allowing, that's how we begin to allow things like your Ring.com doorbell to communicate with your Honeywell thermostat in your commercial building to do things like facial recognition for the correct service technician that's coming by to perform service. So as, as different as those things seem, and as difficult as that is to do when you have to go to your Ring.com app to look at the guy, and then you gotta go to your whatever uh, facility dude app or whatever uh, your your maintenance app is and look at that. You've gotta be able to bring those things together and put them all into one place and be able to interact on that. And so that's the work that we focus on primarily is getting our partners to understand that although from their standpoint, there is a need for the consumer level user interface. There also needs to be a concept of enterprise data consumption that allows us to uh, get past the multiple layers of, of asking clients to go to multiple different places to consume the data, because not only are you having the, the functional cumbersome, nature of jumping around from all these tabs. But in that data model, you're not actually able to get these different things to work in relation to one another and make queries to one another. And that's really where the the success of IOT and smart buildings and smart cities is really going to start to manifest itself is when we can get these things to start communicating with one another and providing more specific actionable information versus just saying there's an overheat alarm on pump number four.
0: So, um, so let me. It seems like you might be asking for a couple of different things here, uh, sort of in the standards realm, which is a, both a, a sort of Babblefish type of solution where uh, consumers can use a middleware type of plugin that would allow any protocol data coming in to be spit into one central dashboard, and also sort of asking for the <clears throat> excuse me, the idea of a, uh, a better, more unified uh, standard for, for data. Is that, is that true?
1: I don't know that it requires a standard in the data protocol. I mean, if we think about something like uh, CSV, uh, coming out of Excel, I, I don't know that we necessarily call that a protocol as much as a data format. Uh, do the call, do the do these fields align with those fields when we do a data exchange? And I think of it more in that standpoint than because what we don't need is we don't need more languages, we don't need more platforms. There is there is a, a technological propriety in how people are doing these things, how they're collecting the data, how they're getting it to the cloud, and how they're disseminating it. With that being said, I think that it's wishful thinking for us to say we need a standard protocol for how everybody's going to do things. However, there is a middle ground to that that says, yes, I'm going to collect video from my device and I'm going to upload it to my dashboard for you to view it on your application. However, I'm also going to package it up and make it accessible through an API communication that would allow it to do a backdoor transfer into a greater orchestration platform.
0: Okay. Um So you said uh, – I I have now uh, heard you say the secret void that allows me to move into the security part of this because you said a backdoor for orchestration, uh, some kind of an API maybe, something that that allows you to customize your feed, for lack of a better word. And, of course, that introduces the security part of this discussion, um, which is that any time you introduce anything like that – and this is the argument that closed system people always make – you're introducing a point of uh, attack, a point of access. And isn't the security of the data more important than the ease of getting to it? If you've got to choose between the two. Uh,
1: Correct. And since this is real-world IoT and not fake-world IoT, (laughs) I'll go ahead and tell you I am on the security side where I agree that every potential point of access is a security risk And I would agree that the integrity of that system is more important than the accessibility to the data. Again, like everything else in life, there has to be a balance in the middle. And so what we have, the technology that we pursue, one of the solutions that we find is that we set up uh, parallel networks within the building. And so it's very uh, cost effective now. Now that we have IoT data plans for cellular devices, it's cost effective now for you to set up a parallel cellular network to do all of your monitoring on, mm-hmm. send all of that monitoring information back to an off site um, processor such as Site 1001, and never have opened up your uh, network beyond the software as a service connection back to our service, which again, we have a lot more security control over than all of those different data points coming into the building. Sure. So, you know, every time someone tries to mitigate the security component of it, I tell them they need to. Research Middle East uranium enrichment um, <laughs> as it relates to. I'm not going to name names, but I'm just saying if you uh, if you want to downplay the significance of building automation and the security risks, then then do your homework. <clears throat> Excuse me, but to that point, we're very conscientious of that, and so um, again, it's not just as simple as the parallel network, but there are, it, it, there are uh, strategies such as that that allow us to do that. We also work very closely with AWS. We're a strategic partner of AWS and have access to uh, GovCloud services, which again, uh, are not gonna provide protection at the site level, as you mentioned, for each one of these sensors. And that's where leveraging cellular technology, uh, 4G, and ultimately where we've got going into 5G today, uh, there's an opportunity coming in 5G. Uh, 5G, as we start to proliferate that, that technology, has poor building penetration with regard to its signal strength. So what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot more local hardware being installed within buildings themselves simply to proliferate the cellular signal. And what that's going to provide us is, in essence, future access to a high-speed cellular data network that we plan to take advantage of to keep our IOT communications separate from the enterprise network.
0: Well, that's an in- interesting point you just made there about, about 5G. I didn't actually know that about 5G being uh, less uh, able to penetrate into, into buildings. Um, uh, I It's possible that the listeners here have heard me talk about how I'm a skeptic about 5G anyway. Uh, I think that it's a, a technology that we largely don't need yet, and that uh, uh, doesn't have very many practical use cases in the immediate, so maybe it, we should focus on the, on what we're fixing now. But that's a different discussion for a different day. Um,
1: I don't I don't mean to take you off on a tangent here, yeah. but you brought it
0: up. <laughs> uh, so in my
1: current uh, in my current iteration of what I call my life, uh, I'm in the vertical world. But in another iteration of my life, I worked in the horizontal world where I was trying to get cellular signals to. Caterpillar bulldozers that were down in ravines in Ozarks, Missouri uh, Mm. trying to get grade signals to them. And in that application, I think 5G is fantastic. But 5G has some with with regard to the fact that it's going to have longer range, you're going to get coverage in areas you didn't have before. That's all great. But to your point, we can get high enough data transfer speeds with 4G if the network has the capacity to support it. However, I think 5G is coming. I think that sure. from a marketing standpoint, the telecommunication companies have to prove they're improving their network. So they just slap a new number every few years. <laughs> but the, the, by changing that bandwidth, the benefits then re- resound back to we have lower penetration within buildings. And that, that kind of works against what we're trying to do here. Because just five, 10 years ago, there would not have been, you know, if we're talking 3G, we would not have had the network reliability to do these parallel network where we were so dependent on cellular, like we can do today. Right. Uh, so, and again, I think that as we start to see companies like Verizon and, and Sprint start putting uh, network hubs and switches in different places around town, it's going to provide an opportunity that we don't really, we're not really aware of today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it is going to provide opportunities for us to get more connected to our buildings without compromising the security integrity of our, our fiber on our enterprise
0: line. Um, so some of the the security the the conversations I've been having about sort of long-term holistic solutions to a lot of IoT's problems including security and interoperability and things like that have started boiling a lot of them have boiled down to uh what I call the the node strategy which is that there will be the sort of river of uh uh, public internet, depending, no matter what the, the protocol that you use to connect to it. And each enterprise or facility or building or uh, use case will be part of a private, independent internet uh, where you'll set up your own private protocol and the only point of access, there will be a single point of access to the public internet just for transmitting encrypted data from place to place, from node to node. And so you'll end up with fewer interoperability questions because you're just transmitting encrypted raw data from here to there Um, instead of having to do constant things. Security is less of a problem because your private internet is not uh, accessible the same way the public internet is, nor is it sensible once you've gotten in because it's set up under its own rules. Is is that something that you would see as feasible solutions to some of these problems in the long term? Obviously, that's a huge infrastructure change and a whole different thing than we've ever operated on in the Internet before. But I kind of like it as a long-term strategy.
1: I'm a bit of an idiot, but aren't you describing a blockchain or a hybrid blockchain type technology?
0: I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so, yeah, so with... Yeah, so if we're talking, I, I remember, you know, I, I read stories about how so-and-so company put blockchain in their name and their stock rose 17%. It's sure. like Applebee's blockchain <laughs> family dining. And uh, so, you know, we we had uh, one of our our uh, data scientists made a comment about the utilization of blockchain technology within the product. And I thought, listen to this guy. He's over here raising our stock price, you know, and he doesn't yeah. know what he's talking about. Uh, But but the concept is is very true. So we work with a lot of smart cities across the country. And and when you talk about a smart city, there's this misnomer that the city would be smart. Uh, However, you have to think about the limitations. So if a city decides they're going to be a smart city, there are infrastructure considerations. And what does the city own? The city owns the streets. So smart cities tend to start from the center line of the street and kind of grow out. They grab the cars. They grab the street lights. They start to grab the water mains. They grab your mass transportation systems, your parking meters, your bus stops. But then what happens? They hit the thresholds of the building and what I call the threshold theory and then no information exchanges. I'm tracking you on your cell phone. I'm understanding that you're loitering in front of the, this storefront longer than that storefront, yep. um, selling that as marketing data. And then you walk into the building, and I don't know anything about you. Well, our strategy goes beyond just trying to help a building operator have a better building. It It is really trying to help a city and a community understand in more detail what everyone is doing and how they're utilizing it. That's what IoT devices mean to us. Taking what 25 years ago was earth-shattering technology in what we call building automation and taking it to the next level of being able to leverage this from a hardware standpoint. But everything we do is predicated on being to feed that information back out across the threshold back to the smart city. Someone asked me in an interview one time, when we think about smart cities and smart buildings, is it going to be like the Jetsons? And I say, no, (laughs) it's not going to manifest itself that way. It's going to manifest itself in a much more subtle way. Things like when you go down to your your subway stop, uh, it's plus or minus three minutes versus plus or minus seven minutes because now the mass transit system is connected at the user level within these buildings. The grocery store that you shop at in an urban environment is not gonna be carrying 67% of the goods that you need, but it will start carrying 92% of the goods that you need. And that's what being connected to the city means. It allows the city to make smarter decisions. I had an interview yesterday with the city of San Diego where they asked about demand response. Mm -hmm. I said, listen, I'm not in the business of flipping people's light switches, but If you collect the data, you'll have the information necessary to make those decisions. And I'm going to leave it to more powerful and intelligent infrastructure people to decide that. But there's no way you're going to flip the right switch until you know what's going
0: on. Yeah. I mean, that... And so that's really... Yeah, oh, no, go, go sorry, ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was just going to say that that I think that that makes a lot of sense. And it segues sort of nicely into the uh, one of my favorite parts of these conversations, which is... Uh, if you were to, you know, be able to flip a switch and make the world work according to what you'd like to see in an ideal case, you know, not the way it's actually going to evolve mm-hmm. and everything else, but like in an ideal case situation, how would you build the the interoperability infrastructure?
1: So it begins with a plan. Uh, at the beginning, you can't put an odometer in a car after you've put 45,000 miles on it and expect to get anybody to take you seriously. If you're going to install an odometer, you have to do it when you build the car. So if we think about construction today, and as I mentioned before, my background is in architecture and construction, we think about what is the reality of construction today? The reality is we don't have as much skilled labor as we had before. Uh, Material costs are much more expensive. The specialization within trades has gone up so much that it 's almost impossible to avoid the silos that are created in the in the vertical industry right. and and what are we moving towards we 're moving towards an aging infrastructure and and all of the like so what we 've got to do is we 've got to address these issues well, one of the things that construction is doing in addition to the adoption of technology is a lot more of mass customization or off-site fabrication, whatever you want to think about it, fewer connections being made in the muddy dirt hole. And so if we take and we start prefabricating entire corridor lengths of pipe racks, we go from making 3,000 connections in the field to making 30 connections in the field. That's where building intelligence and interoperability begins. We begin by installing our IoT devices at the level that we're thinking about it modularly within the components that are being built within the building. Whether people think they're building mobile homes or not, to a large extent, once we get the glass up on your beautiful new headquarters, it's a mobile home going on inside. We try and build as much of it on a rack in a factory as we can and bring it out on a truck. With that being said, it doesn't mean we have to sacrifice architectural quality, but if we're going to be thinking about it as a detail enough to break it into blocks and put it on a truck, then it should be very easy for us to think about where are our future failures, i.e. leak detection, moisture infiltration, things that start to drive up. Of uh, yeah. uh, property and casualty costs it, So once we set this plan in motion from the beginning and it was really funny when I first started out, I went to all the architects and said, isn't this a great plan? Let's do it. And they said, that's great. We don't have any money. Then I went <laughs> to the contractors and they said, that's great. That's not in my bid. Yep, yep. So then I thought, well, how am I ever going to get this thing done? And so I went to the insurers and I said, you've got to stop giving out construction bonds to every guy with a hammer unless he puts this technology in or proves that he has a plan for doing this moving forward. And it resonated like it's nobody's business.
0: So (laughs) what I think we're going (laughs) in a, a,
1: (laughs) you know what, you guys won't listen to me. I'm going to your dad. Uh, (laughs) So what I, how, how I think the perfect scenario resonates is that we have a partnership between municipalities, between insurance providers, between utility providers, between commercial operators, wherein, The exchange of information could actually create a system where everything pays for itself. You take the insurance company gets to reduce the owner's building rates in exchange for the information. In exchange for that, the insurance company gets to reduce their risk and more accurately apply rates based on knowing what they know about a building, having an actual odometer on it. The utility provider can benefit from having enough information to actually make peak load decisions instead of crap shooting like we do with a flu, flu vaccine. Um, and then finally, the municipalities are going to benefit through having a system, a, a city that is more of a well-oiled machine that gives them all of the information they need to identify where the errors and efficiency are and how to get it better. Yeah. So I don't think that it's something that requires billions of dollars in funding. I think that in a perfect world, we could find a mutually beneficial system to get all of these parties to be raising their hand to be the first in line to get involved.
0: Well, I think that, that the argument at its very base is the original argument for IoT, which is operational efficiency and and lowered costs over time. You're going to spend less if your building is smarter over time, even if it's slightly more expensive in the initial expenditure. You know what I mean? So, so and, I think and, that we're still making that on, same case. we found that the,
1: yes, yes, and we found that the the level of neglect that these buildings receive again, because it's a misnomer that we, we, as architects and builders, we build buildings and we hand them over to people and we think that they either care or know enough to operate the building effectively. Their building is a line in the overhead. Mm -hmm. And as long as it doesn't get out of line, then what's the point in dealing with it? (laughs) Excuse me. And just because your widget factory has the overhead to consume that doesn't mean that it's in the best interest for the utility provider for your municipality for your insurer or the like right now if we can find a mutually beneficial way that goes back to that owner and says listen what we're gonna do here is we're going to reduce that overhead item slightly but we're gonna ensure that it doesn't go up but you're gonna start to find benefits in lower utility rates and in lower insurance costs and in fewer accidents uh, fewer equipment downtime, all of the things associated with that. And that's really what drives the economic model. We are just, right now, it's, it's a, uh, the cell is a little bit ahead of its time, yeah. but we are finding folks that are, that are catching on. We have partnered with the largest insurance broker in the world to offer package services related to our strategy and our deployment methodology. So I think we're on the right track. And I think that when we partner these these successes up with our smart city initiatives, I think that we're going to lay the groundwork for how we bring buildings into the fold of being viable participants in a smart city.
0: Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned uh, sort of the modular building stuff, because every time I get into a discussion with somebody in the IOT who's got, you know, the kind of deep knowledge you obviously have, the I I never fail to go, man, Disney really did it first. (laughs) Like, Disney is, I'm beginning to think that there is no argument that can be made that doesn't say that Disney was the first company to use IoT and to see the point of it. Because I was down there uh, for an event in January, uh, the uh, IoT Evolution Expo, and uh, um, the event took place in the Disney Contemporary Hotel, which is one of the first ones that they built when they were building Disney World uh, in the Late 60s, and that building was built modular. They put up a frame, and then they craned in the hotel rooms and plugged them into the structure. Uh, and when they've upgraded it since then, all they've done is pull out the whole block of rooms and then put in new ones. It's 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 crazy. Um, so uh, that's a bit of a non sequitur, but it's just it never fails to amaze me how that company has managed to be 30 years ahead of everyone else in every every time I, yeah, I, I i talk about something it's crazy we're
1: we're yeah we're talking about the the technological advancements in building information modeling that the architecture community's been adopting over the last 10 years you know that was that became really got legs under it in the 70s in the aerospace industry so it's not like it's a a new thing the analogy though is if you used the software of the time back in 1985 and you were going to build a $5 million bank, yep. it would cost you $3.8 million to build a model of that bank in the computer.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's not going to work. Right.
1: Well today, because we have industry specific tools, we can change that model. But one of the things that I think about that I think you're going to see more and more uh, of an industry merger is believe it or not um, vertical construction and ship building. Yeah. Uh, if you ever watch documentaries on shipbuilding, the speed with which they can build these ships is absolutely unbelievable. They can build a $100 million dollar ship in five months.
0: It's, it's insane what they can do.
1: Now, again, I'll tell you, it does have the architectural nuance of a ship. However, uh, if we think of it as core and shell, where we can do our tenant fit out and, like you said, rebuild it on the inside, repurpose it over and over again, we've got to start taking core and shell and cut its construction time in half. And the way that we do that is offsite manufacturing. We get out of the weather. All these things that we've been talking about, which gives us an opportunity to have IoT proliferation at the same level of consideration in a building that a controls contractor would get.
0: Yeah, I, and think, that's, I think
1: that's really going to be the next the next frontier.
0: I think, especially in terms of uh, consumer housing, uh, places living spaces and in terms of uh sort of office buildings high rises that's that kind of thing the idea of installing the iot infrastructure to make those buildings smart at the construction phase is just going to be how those those pieces become ubiquitous because it, aftermarket thing introduces how we started this discussion the idea of improp improperability as an almost uns- insurmountable challenge uh and so if we do it at initial construction i think it just works better for everyone in the end as as we've been saying so as we get near the end here i want to i want to transition and and touch on uh uh something that i uh, one of the most interesting parts of the iot to me which is automation um, which of course is a big part of the building discussion and the interoperability discussion. You know, uh, dark factories where no one, no people actually work there uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, buildings that are completely automated, as people come and go to do whatever they're doing in that building. Nobody's there to run it. It's all, you know, automated. The now that's however many years, depending on which analyst you're talking to, in the future that we'll start seeing those things happen uh, on a mass scale. But we're playing with the ideas now, and I look forward to it because I look forward to uh, nobody ever working again. But uh, that's just because I'm lazy, bone idleness. That's what that is. Um, <laughs> but the uh, the the thing that I that I want you to that, that I'm curious about how you think about this is what are some of the the Interoperability challenges that people aren't thinking of with getting to that phase, because everybody thinks about well, you know, what if some bad actor gets into the automated system, no one's ever going to notice, or what if uh, what if the system starts, uh, you know, producing the wrong thing and nobody notices, or you know, it's without a person there to monitor, how do we know? Those are all the problems that everybody's already thinking about. What are some of the things that people aren't thinking about?
1: Well, I have a little saying that, at least in our lifetime, your your building's never going to be a robot. If it is, it would jump off its foundation and get a laser pistol and go fight Godzilla because that'd be way cooler than being (laughs) in your building. So what it is, is it's a hybrid between all of that information and intelligence within your building and being able to convey that in an actionable method. Even if we are talking about a hypothetical building that has no people coming into it, and uh, everything is done automatically, there is still some level of human oversight that takes place. So I was watching uh, again, cause I watch too much TV uh, on offshore oil drilling and you know, 10 years ago you had these roughnecks that were grabbing that big old drill pipe and wrestling around and getting flung off like a rag doll. Mm-hmm. And today it's one guy sitting in a control center with 50 million gauges and controls. Now, the prerequisite to being able to do that, what is that? It's having enough information to see what's going on. So even if you have a fully operation, automated deal, you still have a building around it that isn't automated. It isn't going to be part of that. It's going to do its best, and it's a lot further along than it is today. But every bit of manufacturing, every bit of process has a quality assurance level built in that's a, that's a human that puts his, his or her eye on it and, and makes sure that the thing's not going off the track.
0: You don't, Our program you don't is not that, designed
1: to make your building.
0: Sorry, you don't foresee that going to the point where, you know, a computer is reporting to another computer all is well, or there's this problem, so the other computer deploys the repair to that problem?
1: I think that there is. I think that there is definitely progress that's going to be made towards that. And, again, this is what we're going to get, whether we like it or not. This is what IoT orchestration is going to give us. So once we have that information, the question is, What do we do with it? Again, you can't control buildings remotely. The computer cannot switch. If you think about a breaker, a breaker exists because it's not an electronic connection. It's a mechanical connection, which means in order to flip a breaker remotely, you have to introduce a physical servo to move a switch. These types of infrastructure costs are what drive full automation off the realm of possibility. However, if you can take all of the information that you know and say, hey, Tammy, while you're out in your service truck today, go flip this switch at this building, turn this valve to this and go do that. And then all the while, everything that Tammy does on her service rounds, the computer learns about, tells other computers about and is the like. And again, we're going to get a lot closer to that. But we're not going to get to the point where we have 100% self-healing buildings uh, because at the end of the day, we're not making air handler units that can change their own filters. We're not making... Uh, expansion takes that can drain their own seven valves. So that's a long ways down the road. Will we get there? Maybe. But to, we are to trying extent. to make I don't, know. I don't mean to speculate on your age, but I don't know <laughs> it will be in our
0: lifetime. <laughs> um but we are trying to make and and it don't don't take my my laziness dreams away from me here. Uh we are trying to we are trying <laughs> to make uh air handling filter filters that don't ever need to be changed. That uh that for the effective lifetime of the building will never need to be changed or uh, you know, sewage treatment systems that are a hundred percent efficient, you know, where everything either gets reused somewhere or uh, recycled. The
1: economy, the the economy of, of production weighs down on us. So last week I was in Southern California and was introduced to a burger chain in Pasadena. And when the owner, when the $15 an hour, Minimum wage law passed. He bought robots mm-hmm. to flip his burgers for him. Sure he did. And and at that point, the economics break over, and so again, you know, the, the, the that's what's driving this. Is supposed to always be the limit the, the the limiter. And and if you want, you can read my hypothetical book that I haven't written on the impact of architecture and national socialism. Nice. Uh, but again, it's it's capitalism versus. How we, how we think it's all manifest in architecture. I don't need you get off under a side tangent here. Uh, <laughs> Listen, I love side
0: tangents. What
1: we're striving towards. <laughs> if what we're striving towards here is a balance. And I, and I don't, I'm not here to dictate to a man what a dream should be, or shouldn't be, be, or I would advise you to, to modify your dream a little bit. Don't try and get everyone to not work. Just try and get Ken to not work. <laughs>
0: You know, I like I like where your head's at, and I think that's a, a great place for me to stop working and uh and to let you go. Where uh uh where can folks find out more about you and about ten oh one?
1: Uh so you can visit us on our website at wwwsite ten oh one dot com. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Site ten oh one uh if you have any questions. I think you'll find any contact information you need there and awesome. uh additional resources uh, such as video and literature and all that stuff.
0: Awesome. Um folks I think uh uh I hope you've enjoyed this this episode as much as I have. Please uh make sure that you hit subscribe uh so you can pick up all of our uh real world IoT episodes um uh as they as they come out. We're uh, we're trying to be uh at least once a week here and we're gonna uh accelerate if we need to. Uh make sure you follow at one five one advisors on Twitter or visit uh one fifty one advisors.com for all of the uh uh information on the projects that they're working on um as uh as they uh you know work with companies like site uh, 1001 um folks thank you so much for listening uh eric thank you so much for being my guest this has been a really great conversation
1: uh my pleasure thanks again
0: Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. I'm your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time.